They, they scheduled the singles mixer or something at 4.30, so most of the singles aren't coming. And uh, there's an elders dinner at 4.30, so they're not coming. Uh, so you're, you're all the middle-agers, I guess. Um, and um, as you, you may have seen, my name is Brett Kreider. And uh, just a little background on me. Uh, I've been a Christian now 36 years. So uh, that's a, a long time. I was 17 when I was baptized. And um, I've been uh, a teacher for the past four years. If you were at the last ACR conference, that's when I got my official teacher shirt and was appointed. Um, I have two books that I published. Uh, these are quiet time books. So one of them is uh, Quiet Times from the book of First and Second Peter, and it, it covers a lot of his, uh, it, it brings in who was Peter. So look at the Gospels, and uh, was Andrew his older brother or younger brother? And what did it mean when he went to follow Jesus, but he was married? And so a little bit of this is conjecture, but painting the picture so you think about who Peter is as you're reading First and Second Peter, it's a, uh, just a quiet time book that uh, 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 several churches used this past year. So over 2,000 copies sold from D DPI or IPI. And then um, First Love is uh, my second book. And it's about the, the church in Ephesus. But it's really about church and understanding uh, the church in Ephesus was, you know, the book of Ephesus, Ephesians is written in such lofty language describing how God treats us as the message to the world. That the church is something different than we, we think of. And so we, it goes to analyze how you think about church and what does it mean on a day-to-day -day basis. And of course, the title you probably recognize from Revelation 2, you've lost your first love. And this great Ephesians church had lost their love in, in the book of Revelation and the secret to understanding that, I believe, is not Hollywood, which you'd think, oh, I need to go back and emotionally feel the same thing I felt when I first got baptized. And if, you've ever, if you're like me, that's very frustrating because it ain't happening. But if you switch the two words, it's really a question of priorities because we've got to love God first. And so that's what that book's about. And in this one, I, um, I use the book of Acts kind of as the backdrop so you get a little bit of... That was my... Uh, plug while we're waiting for people to come in. But more importantly, um, today we're talking about the battle for the Bible. And that's been a subject that people like to attack the Bible. People like to fight, right? There's a political battle that's going on, and I'm not going to talk about politics today. Because it's really not about whether you're on the right or the left or whatever, I have great Christian friends on both sides of the aisle. And this is not a religious argument. This is not just my opinion about the scriptures. We gotta look at the facts and figure out because it really doesn't matter what one person says about the Bible. It really matters what does the Bible, what's the truth and how do we get to the truth. It's not about philosophy. You can come up with a lot of good philosophies that make you feel good. Uh, even science, if you went to Dan Zachary's class, he answered the scientific questions. I won't be going into that. Not my job today. But I'll tell you what it is. There is a spiritual battle. That is, that's real for you because 
Satan wants to attack your foundation of faith. If he can get you to doubt that the Bible's God's word, then you know what he'll do? You'll stop listening to God. I think today there's a lot of Christians who occasionally have quiet times rather than making it a regular practice to be in contact with God. And I, I think that we're not as bathed with scripture as we were earlier in the days of our movement. If Satan can get us to stop listening to God, then what direction are we going to go in? It'll, it'll come down to our emotions or our own intellect. Or he'll get us to doubt the Bible just enough that we don't take it seriously in our lives. That the Bible no longer becomes a, something that we stand in awe of. I love Isaiah 66 where it says, this is the one I esteem. And he says, he who, who stands in awe of my word. You know, that's the challenge. So Satan's quite happy if you come to a class like this and listen. He's quite happy if you attend your church, but you don't take the Bible seriously. Because we're either ignorant of what the Bible actually says or passive enough that we miss God's instructions for you. Because God's instructions for you, you've got to run your own race and your race is different than every other person. With that in mind, that spiritual battle, let's pray together. God, it's four in the afternoon on a very busy day. And I don't even know how we can still our hearts enough to listen to you. So I ask for supernatural strength and supernatural focus that we can together examine a few things that will help us to listen to you. Help us to understand what is your word and what are you communicating to us? God, please help me as the speaker to be out of the way, to expose things that are Satan's lies, that we can fight this battle in a way that we are confident that we hold the word of truth in our hands, in our phones, <laughs> and we're able to find out your will in our lives. That we're not just guessing or we're not just another religious opinion that's out there, but we're following your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So my favorite psalm on the, the Word of God is Psalm 119. And yes, it's going to be really hard to read this, but the good news is there are handouts in every other seat. If you share it with your friend, you'll be able to see everything that you need to see. That is really hard to read, isn't it? Most of the print's big like this, not that. Psalm 119, it's hard. How do you choose one verse out of 173? You know, it's just, it's, it's really hard to do. But in that psalm, David expounds about his love for God's law, God's word. And uh, the, the Bible is a love letter. And this is different than any other book 
So even as we approach it, it's kind of hard because we tend to compare it to everything else we read. But really the challenge for us is, do we want to know God? Do we want to know what he thinks about us? What he thinks we should be doing? And there's a four-letter word that becomes harder and harder to do as you become an older Christian. And it's the word obey. It is, because you know better. You know what you're doing. You've already figured it out. You don't have to read the Bible to know God's will that day. Maybe. You know, but we get overly confident. And, and one of the things I've been working on in my own life, I read this book, The Spiritual Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And just to be able to step back and say, what am I doing personally that I'm changing directly because I want to obey God? Not for other people, but just for him. Like I'm tempted with a sin and I'm God, I'm just doing this because I want to please you. And having that heart, being willing to follow is one of the things we'll talk about. So, all right, so there's three principles that we're gonna get into, but maybe you have your own Bible questions and you're like, I don't know about intolerance or this or that, but what are, what are your questions? And maybe I'll just open it up in some crazy idea here that you might have some questions you want that you brought to the class and you're like, I would really like to come out of this class with, and if you raise your hand, I'll try to take your question, go ahead. The Genesis and the books of poetry, how do I understand them and read them? Yeah, and explain them, like specifically Genesis 1 through 4. Like, how do we talk about, like, it's, it's Yes, very much so. And Jacoby actually has rewritten his book twice because he keeps changing some of the things he believes about the first couple chapters in the, in the book of Genesis. I recommend that as a, as a resource there. Um, but great, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Go ahead. Why does some of the Bible feel so relevant and some of it feel so bizarre? <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that. I think you'll get some of that out of the class. Go ahead. Um, how do I word it? The Old Testament, you know, the Law and Prophets, you know, they're definitely obviously considered the Word of God. But the New Testament, um, how does it, other than the passage where Peter kind of Mm. The Old Testament, how does the New Testament since Trump the Old Testament or you understand what I'm going with the question? That's a pretty and deep question. Bible, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that. I don't know that I'll be able to answer all your questions on that one. Okay. Um, but but good question. Yeah. So is the Bible inerrant is a very interesting question and a very Western question, by the way. So one of the things we're going to talk about is 
Hebrew logic versus Western logic because the way that they thought about logic and the way they made their arguments, the what they believed about the Bible, didn't follow the scientific method that hadn't been invented yet. So for very good reason. Um, and, and so there was that question. And then what about the text changing over the years? Because you have texts that were copied and if there are mistakes and things like that, we actually will talk about that. So interesting, maybe one or two more, Marty. Okay, and I may not get too much into that, but I will point a reference that's a very quick read. You gotta love this, very short book. Don't you love Mike Tolliver? Not only are the books small, but there's very few words in this book. It's actually a good reference. I just reread it as part of studying for this class, but how we got the Bible and why you can trust it. You'll have an opportunity to win this very book in our contest that's coming up in a little bit, but I highly recommend you get a copy of this and just for a, a short read, it gives you a lot of information about the, where did the Bible come from? Can we trust this, the manuscripts that we have? I will hit some of that today. Wow, we're getting more and more questions. All right, the guy who's filming me. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. This may not be a directly Bible question, but just, I guess, your thoughts on how you perhaps navigate this, which is... Um, can a person understand the Bible without the intervention of other people in the sense that uh, every single person that reads it may get a different interpretation and therefore we end up not being unified uh, in terms of like, you know, this is a church. Yeah. Is, you know, you know, you know, it's, a, it's a complicated, that's going to be under the, the topic of outdated and what and when we talk about that. A couple more real quick. All right, so I had a question regarding, I don't know if you're going to go into detail about that, but you know how we have 66 books? 66 books? Composed in the Bible. But it seems like uh, the apostles and the early disciples were quoting from passages that were not anywhere to be found in the Bible today, which they considered to be inspired. A lot of apocryphal books in the Old Testament that, for example, there's passages in the Bible that Paul refers to that they are nowhere to be found in the Old Testament, and it seems like he's directly quoting from something like the Book of Enoch or something Enoch, like that. Or like when it says James and John opposing Moses, or uh, Satan arguing Michael about the Bible, they are nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. So I'm wondering, are there other inspired books that the early Christians found them to be inspired by by God? but we don't have them today, and we don't, because that's what we're being handed on. Wow, I don't know that I'll be able to go into that one on today, but that is a really good question. Maybe we can talk afterwards. All right, one more, and then I'm gonna dive in. So, my question is, how can we determine between what's inspired by God and His Word? Because there's different ways to We're going to definitely talk about some of that when we get into the Bible being outdated. So we'll get into that. So there's, there's three things we're going to talk about today. Tolerance is one of them. There's this concept where Christians are getting bombarded today as being intolerant. 
You know, because we don't accept whether, whatever that topic is, you know, and they'll come up with any topic that we don't agree with and we're intolerant because we don't agree with them. And there's this concept that you could have people from every religion side by side getting along. And so we're gonna talk about, is the Bible intolerant? Is it outdated? You know, here we have a book that's 2,000 years old, written in some different languages, some of which are not even spoken today. How do we understand it? How about fiction? You know, the original talking donkey came from Numbers 22. Shrek just borrowed that. Okay, but is this fact or fiction? You know what? When we're reading the Bible, how do we know that it's true? Because there's these stories that are that are kind of crazy, and so. This is where our head starts spinning a little bit because there's an emotional component to it. There's a, a, a research component to it. And then there's a religious component to it. And how do we sort these out as we're thinking through, as thinking people? And just, uh, you know, for your background, I went to uh, MIT, which is like a technical school up in Boston. Um, down the street, some liberal arts school, I forget. What's it called? Like, Harvard, yes, I know. But the guys who really hardcore study, that's at MIT. Um, And I've got my fellow MIT nerd here. Come on, hold up your ring. There you go. Yes. All right. Um, And Dan Zachary was teaching. He's another MIT guy. So I'm a a thinker in that sense. I'm an engineer uh, by trade. I actually, uh, if anybody heard of Medicare.gov, Medicaid.gov, Obamacare, healthcare.gov, um, my job is I'm the cybersecurity advisor to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid to protect all of those websites with 110 million Americans' personal information. I got to protect that from the hackers getting to it. So uh, that's what I do in my day job, and uh, that's not easy. But anyway, this is much easier. No, <laughs> actually, the Bible stuff is is quite challenging, especially because we get into these emotional. Uh, debates with people today. When people say intolerance, what's your response? When you hear the word intolerant, how do you feel about that word? What do you, what, what's your... Yeah. It's strict. It's overly strict. Yeah. What's, why, why are you so intolerant? You're inflexible. You're not thinking. You're, 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 you're judgmental. Right? Another one? Well, I mean, intolerance. Like, it's like, I don't like green peppers. I can't tolerate them. It's, it's different than accepting. Yes. When I did a Google search on intolerance, you know what I came up with? Lactose intolerance. That's <laughs> the number one hit. <laughs> and some of you are intolerant of lactose. I can't believe it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> intolerance just means that you have, you're unwilling to accept differences in opinions or other ideas. Um, and it could be an intolerance towards food. You know, that's kind of interesting. And you may have seen this bumper sticker. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was growing up, I went to the Unitarian Church, and I think this is a Unitarian slogan here, coexist, everybody should get along. And the Unitarians believe everybody's right. <laughs> which is exactly the same as believing that everybody's wrong. (laughs) If you think about it, because that means you have no convictions. So we were renting this building for our staff meetings, the Unitarian building. 
And, you know, on, on Tuesday nights, they had the, the sex addicts come in and have their class, and then the alcoholic addiction on Thursday night, and they had church on, on Sunday morning, and uh, their church, you know, they never really talk about Jesus, because Unitarian doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. But anyway, um, but then they found out that we were born-again Christians. And they were like, mm-hmm. I don't feel okay renting the, the building to you guys. So we found out intolerance will not be tolerated. You guys are intolerant. <laughs> I thought that's really kind of funny. What, do you realize you're being intolerant of us? And they were like, no, no, you know, yeah, can't, no reason there. I like what G.K. Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. If you're completely tolerant, that means you don't believe anything. You don't have any convictions. So there's something wrong with this emotional use of the word tolerance in accusing anybody, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, and we, we have to be sure we're not guilty of pointing the finger in a judgmental way and finding three fingers pointing back at us, you know? Because intolerance is a hot word right now, and we gotta be careful about it. You know, people are testing, how intolerant are you? You know, you got, you got the meter here measuring, and the, here the joke says, we're a very tolerant society, but if you don't behave like us, you can go back to where you bloody came from. There's, there's some weird things, but you know, tolerance really is about behavior. And we're intolerant of certain behaviors. For example, how many here have ever been to the hospital? Okay, if you're going in for a surgery, I bet you care that they operate on the right appendage. These days, right, they sign it. The doctor says, is that the right one? You know, I want to make sure. My wife went in for knee surgery. The doctor, first thing he does while she's still awake is sign the knee because he wants to make sure he operates on the wrong one. Do you realize, you may not see this. Just testing to see if you're listening. In 2013, they did a survey at Johns Hopkins University and found that 250,000 people died that year from medical errors due to either inadequate information, they had the wrong chart or not enough information on the chart, improper, like they couldn't read the handwriting of the doctor. This is the third major killer in America that year. Wow. It's crazy. I bet you're intolerant of medical negligence. How about if you're on a flight, an airplane? Do you care how they land the plane? I mean, are you like really partial to landing on the landing gear? Do you prefer landing at an airport or on a desert island? You probably can't see it, but he landed the plane. Maybe he wanted to go on vacation, so he lands it right in the sand. Crashes the plane. We're intolerant of how people would land the plane. And Jesus was intolerant. Is the Bible intolerant? Was Jesus intolerant? The truth is, he said, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty intolerant. And if you go to the Old Testament, and I'm sorry you can't read the hillbilly Ten Commandments here. No killing except for critters. Okay? Quit your foul-mouthing. But anyway, the Ten Commandments. The, God was intolerant of idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me. Of disobedience in the Bible. Uh, lying. God is intolerant of lying. Adultery. You know, how many of you who are married are intolerant of adultery in your relationship? You intolerant bunch. See, intolerance is required in any relationship. In society, if we're tolerant of murder, well, it's only, it's the purge. It's only once every whatever. Or stealing. Or even you look at the New Testament and they start getting into heart sins or, you know, this is a lot of actions actually. Immorality, impurity, hatred, fits of rage, selfish ambition, drunkenness. How do you feel about religious leaders who are drunk? You know, we're intolerant of that. And we should be. Jesus refused to tolerate hypocrisy. We hate it when somebody's a televangelist and is preaching something, but you know that they're getting rich off this and they're immoral and they're getting caught. Racism. Jesus was intolerant of racism. I think that's a good thing. Sexism, mistreating women. Jesus was intolerant of this. He required Christians to respect women. Amen? Amen. But then he got into the heart. He said, I'm not just intolerant of adultery. I don't want you to lust. Wow. He's really intolerant. Hatred, anger, pride, selfishness. He's intolerant of a lack of compassion. On Judgment Day, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, did you care about the people who were hurting around you? Wow. And of course, we study this in the discipleship study. Luke 14 says anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That is intolerance. So the real question is not, is the Bible intolerant? But maybe the better question is, is it inclusive? When you start reading 1 Corinthians 6, and your handout may say 2 Corinthians, but Mark Templer picked that up during the class, and I changed it on this 1 Corinthians 6. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about people that should, will not inherit to the kingdom of God and says the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, thieves, Greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That's who's in the church. That's who you're sitting next to. So the church is not only intolerant, it's also ridiculously inclusive 
Like, absurdly inclusive. It's ridiculous to think, I was talking to a, a, somebody, or it, was, it was during one of the lessons over the staff meeting in the last couple of days. They, they had this incredible illustration. They said, imagine any country, you know, and somebody said Singapore. All right, so you travel over to Singapore and you meet somebody who's a disciple. You've never met him before. And they welcome you into their home. You can picture that, right? Their hospitality over there in Asia is amazing. We need to repent and be more hospitable. It's amazing. So they welcome you into their home and they're like, oh, I'm going out. Can you watch my kids for me? Do you need a place to stay? Then you come home and you tell your friends, yeah, I met somebody I never met before. I watched their kids. I ate in their home. They had me. This is ridiculous. People from different backgrounds. It's all because we're so inclusive. Jesus was unbelievably inclusive. His attitudes towards women were so revolutionary that it changed society. It took a while, but it changed society. His attitude towards foreigners, outcasts, he welcomed them in. You know, it's Christians who invented hospitals. Christians are the ones who adopted orphans. That wasn't a common practice before Jesus. And then Jesus accepted people from every race, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, slave traders can become Christians. Male, he even let women become Christians. Of course, right? We're like, how? He's so radically inclusive. And the real question, see, we're asking the wrong question when we start talking about, is the Bible intolerant? Yes, the Bible is both incredibly intolerant in the right way because we're intolerant of behavior that messes up people's lives. We call it sin. But we love people so much that we have to be. We're we don't want our kids playing in the street and getting run over by cars. That's pretty restrictive because we love so much. We're intolerant and inclusive. And so the challenge for us is we, we have a radical, are you afraid of being called intolerant? And I'm not talking about taking a stand for some political issue, but taking a stand for right and wrong in the Bible, we should not be afraid of being called intolerant. And I think that's a challenge for us in society. And the scripture at the bottom here, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's Jesus that draws people to the church. And we have got to imitate his convictions if we're going to draw people to the church. You know, part of the reason I wrote this book, Aliens and Strangers, is because I looked around and I said, how different am I actually from my neighbors? Would anybody really know? Could they actually tell that I'm a Christian? And I thought, I've got to change. I've got to have more conviction about my own inclusivity, about how I treat people and my compassion. So anyway, that's the intolerant. All right, we're going to talk about outdated. Oh, I blew that. All right, no prize on the first one. You're going to see a picture, and then you've got to raise your hand and identify the outdated concept. And you saw the first picture, I think, right? Okay, so this is a, this is no, no question. 
floppy disk. And what's the, what's the capacity of a floppy disk? 80 kilobytes on the original one. And for those of you who have forgotten, a kilobyte, it takes a thousand of those to make a megabyte, and a gigabyte, you know, is a thousand, you need a lot for a terabyte. Okay, so I'm actually going to give out this on the next one, uh, a copy of this book. This book right here is going to the winner of this one. So you got to raise your hand, don't yell it out. He's like, already got his hand. <laughs> Pretty sure a woman's going to win this, but let's see how the men do. All right, you got to tell me what this is. Right. <laughs> it's a beehive. Yay! All right, see, I didn't realize he used to have that hairdo. All right, just for fun, I'll give away one of my, my, my uh, first love books on this next one. You have to tell me what technology is this guy using? Um, so this is a high technology, okay? It's outdated. Are we ready? Yeah, I'm into the 60s here. You got that theme, don't you? All right, what's the technology? Go ahead. The shoe phone, yes. Okay. What TV show? Get Smart. And when was that? that believe it or not, 65 to 86. You can come up and get your book. The shoe phone. Just for fun, anybody know this TV show? This is, nobody got this. I, I, ta I taught this lesson at church on Sunday. Nobody got this. Let's see. Quick Draw McGraw, come on. Okay. It's Quick Draw McGraw, but even more importantly than that, he turned into the superhero. Come on. Now, I am a guitar player, so I'm probably biased because his technology for his weapon, he would kill the superhero. Well, I don't know if he'd kill it because it was a cartoon, but he would hit the, super, he would hit the, the uh, villain over the head, El Caban, with a guitar. So it's fantastic, although kind of short-lived for the guitar. But um, maybe that is guitar abuse, you know? You know we've got to be more compassionate with, um, anyway. Guitar hero, there you go. We could have called him that. But um, I'm impressed with this group. You know, just your, your Bible knowledge, your cartoon knowledge, and understanding beehives. It's just fantastic. So, you know, when we start talking about being outdated, some of the ways you would be outdated would be antiquated language. So does the Bible have antiquated language? Well, Hebrew... How many of you are Hebrew scholars? Not me either. Come on. Hebrew. Oh boy. All right, now let's, let's just lay something out. Okay, last night, the elders got up there and they started making dad jokes. I felt bad for all the kids. I'm like, oh no, dad jokes in the welcome. Oh. The version of Greek that's used in the New Testament is not even spoken today. And then some people are reading the King James just because they want to be outdated too, since that was written, you know, English from the 1600s. Uh, archaic terms. What in the world is a firmament? Is that something you sleep on? You know, it's not... an ephod. Does anybody know what it is? 
like a vest of some sort or something. I mean, but you know, vests are kind of out of style now, I think. Not that I'm the fashion expert, but... And nobody says an ark. Other than Noah, nobody uses the word ark, right? Um, from a previous era. They've got coins that we don't know what it is, weights that we don't know, a cloak. Okay, how many of you are wearing a cloak? Did you bring your scrolls with you? Or obsolete cultural norms. The way they talk about slavery, it just, it turns people off. The way they talk about women sometimes, it turns people off because you're like, how could they treat women as property? And yet that was a cultural norm back then. And so in truth, the Bible is outdated. So why do I say that? Because some of us act like the Bible was written in our language. Today, it actually has to be translated to our language. And what, what I'm afraid of is we read our Bibles in a lazy way, and it's good to read your Bible. But you've got to do a whole lot more than read your Bible if you're going to understand God's will for your life. This book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, how many of you guys have read that book? Oh, fantastic book. I've read it probably seven times. I've taught classes on it four times. This is one of the best Bible study tools I've ever had. When somebody asked, how do I read the Psalms? How do I read Genesis? This book gives that answer because you have to read a, a narrative, a story, very differently than how you read Psalms. And we'll get into that a little bit when we talk later. But it takes work to understand the Bible. And I believe we should read the Bible every day, but I believe we've gotta have some times where we dig in more. And maybe that's your Saturday morning. You've gotta set aside more than that normal 15, whatever, 30 minutes you're reading the Bible and get in deeper. And there's a, a parallel book to this called How to Read the Bible Book, for, book by Book. That's a really good book not to read the whole book, you, it's a reference. You pull it out and it's like a couple pages to introduce you to the book you're about to read, to give you that navigation, to take you from first century or fourth century BC or 10th century BC into today's world so you can understand what is the message? What is the theme of that book? What is he trying to say? Um, we have to figure out what did it actually mean to them? The Bible wasn't written to you. And we treat it as if it was. God, what do you have to say for, to me today? First of all, they didn't have books like we have books. So they would not have read the Bible like that. And that's not the way that God intended for us to read the Bible. So um, for 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. If we're gonna go out there and fight the battle for the Bible and stand up for God's word, we've got, we're gonna have to know how to read it. And you're gonna need some help getting an outdated text into today's language. And even then, it takes the utmost humility to continue to be a student. What you learned is good but what you don't know is much bigger than how much you've already learned. And the Bible can't mean to us what it was never intended to mean to them. 
And so when people start making up things, oh, I think this is about today. This is, you know, this is a revelation. It's all about, it must be about Osama bin Laden. It doesn't make any sense to say that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so the real challenge, I'm giving you two challenges here. Real Bible study, not just reading. You can read every day, but you've got to have some real Bible study if you're going to uh, treat the text the way it should be treated. And I, maybe you wanted an easier answer. But if you don't dig in, then your interpretation is going to be flawed. Memorizing scripture is obviously really good, but getting the big picture, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then, you know, the Bible says when you obey the word, you actually understand God's will. And that's why it's so important as an older Christian to change something. I think part of the reason we get stagnant in our house churches is because we're not changing something. You don't need to change a lot, but how do you go out and teach somebody else how to change if you haven't changed anything recently? Oh, way back when I became a Christian, I changed a lot. They're like, how long ago was that? Oh, 30 years. That's not very impressive. It's just not. So, you know, Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. It's amazing when you change something, you're able to help other people so much more. And so that's my second challenge. So what about the book of Jonah? Let's talk about the book of Jonah just as an example. What is the theme? And if you read How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, please don't answer this question. But what's the theme of the book of Jonah? You know, you probably learned it in Kids' Kingdom. And what did you learn in Kids' Kingdom is the theme of the book of Jonah? God said to Jonah, go preach to Nineveh. He went the other way. Why did he do that? He was scared, okay? He's afraid. And, and really, Jonah preaches really well if you're trying to get, oh, don't, don't follow your feelings. You know, you got to go and do what God says to do. And Jonah's problem was he was afraid. Well, it turns out that's actually not the theme of Jonah. Do you know why Jonah refused to go to Nineveh to preach? He didn't want them to repent. He was prejudiced. He believed salvation was for the Jews, not for those pagans. And he didn't want to share his God with everybody else. How? That doesn't make him feel special. So the theme of Jonah is really prejudice. Where he was looking at them through certain eyes, prejudging them. Not just that they wouldn't repent, he actually thought they would repent. And it, sure enough, they did. And he's like, I told you, God. <laughs> and he throws this fit. But it's, it's such a good example where a superficial reading of the text doesn't give you the big picture. And you should be able to think of every book in the Bible and say, what's the theme of 1 Peter? What's the theme of 2 Peter? What's the theme of the book of Ephesians? What's the theme of the book of Psalms? That's a little tougher, right? 150 chapters. But, um, so the Bible is outdated, but it's also relevant. I can't believe the time. All right, I got to finish quickly. 
So Jesus' teachings, we know they are so relevant today. Imagine if everybody in the United States took seriously the command to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That would change the United States. Um, imagine even just our mental health, how much it would change if we thought about whatever's true, noble, right, admirable. We know that servant leadership is a great model. We know that if everybody would follow the golden rule, it would change. The, the teachings are extremely relevant. I'm going to skip that. A couple of facts that are kind of interesting. The Bible is the number one selling book of all time. Don't look at your sheet and cheat. What's the second best-selling book of all time? Lord of the Rings. Sure enough. And if you are French, you'll be happy to know that Petit Prince is right up there on number three. And then Harry Potter. And these, these numbers may be a little bit old, so Harry Potter may have now passed all of that. Um, but I want you to think about this. The Bible's the greatest book ever. What's even close? It's not like there's anything close. You can't like compare and say, oh, it's just like... As far as documentation, when you read ancient literature, you find books like, you know, Plato, Socrates, Homer's Iliad, they were written a thousand years before Christ or, you know, 500 years before Christ. The most recent copy that exists, there's about a thousand to 1300 year gap between when it was written and when we have a copy of it. Do we really think we have the original? Has it been changed? And then when you look at the Bible, the same thing was true up in, in the Old Testament until the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we'll talk about in a second. But now with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the gap, you compare a thousand years on all the ancient literature and the Old Testament, it's like a hundred years. In the New Testament, it's even better and uh, let's talk about that. I'll just show you a couple examples. In the Old Testament, let's talk about New Testament first. So you've got the New Testament. There are 5,000 copies of different manuscripts out there from the New Testament in 1,500 languages. And there's all these historians that testify to things that happened in the Bible. So when you read Luke, it turns out that he's one of the greatest historians of all time and you can corroborate that with Jewish uh, historians like Josephus or Roman historians like Tacitus and even from the early church fathers. Now, they're biased because they're Christian, but you can reconstruct 80% of the New Testament from just having the, the writings of the uh, early church fathers. This Ryland manuscript dates back to 125 AD, wow. just 30 years after John died. It's very small, it's, about, it's the, from the book of John, but it's, it's amazing that we can have something, you know, why don't we have more copies like this? Because, the, yeah, the, the copies fall apart eventually they, and they just get rid of them because even what's the value of this? Only that it's really old. If it wasn't that, like, you're like, there's only like 12 letters on there, you know? <laughs> is, is this really valuable? Yes, because it ties us back to the original. But that's the only reason. And you can go down to the Smithsonian in Washington. You can see a copy of four of the Gospels combined together from the fourth century. 
And it's, it's pretty amazing. Doug Jacoby took us down. You have to order, a, you know, get a special trip in there. But you can see a copy of the Bible from that old. It's just amazing. So the New Testament's kind of easy. The Old Testament was a lot harder. And we had this gap of 1,400 years until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and this is 1947, so fairly recently, they were able to reduce from 1,400 years, the time where you have the Bible written to the copy that we have, reduce that from 1,400 years down to 200 years. In some cases, 100 years, depending which book. And every book but Esther, there were copies found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So if you read about the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's mind-blowing because before that, there were all these theories that, oh, you know, the Bible has these messianic prophecies. Well, those messianic prophecies, maybe they were written in the Old Testament. Maybe the Old Testament was written after the New Testament, and that's why it's so accurate. And if you read New Testament criticism from 70 years ago, these were the kind of arguments they were coming up with. Once the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, it actually took a while for them to to translate it, but now there's no way because these date before the New Testament. So all of those arguments that we don't have the original don't make any sense anymore. And let me close out with the question of accuracy because now you're able to take a copy that's 1000 AD. It's been copied over and over and over and over again. Boy, it must be full of mistakes. I can compare that to a copy from 200 BC. Look at the two side by side and figure out 99% accuracy. And of course there are copying mistakes, but none of them affect anything that affects the meaning of the text. And so it's, this is a mind-blowing thing because there's no other book that has any kind of uh, uh, accuracy like this or Uh, you know, authenticity. So the Bible is that accurate. And even though in some ways it's outdated, it turns out it's incredibly relevant. It's the most attested to book. It is number one and there is no number two. Really quickly, I'll talk about fiction. Is the Bible fiction? Well, sure. The parables are fiction. If you read Job's Friends, Everything they said was stupid. (laughs) And God rebuked them. Miserable counselors. I talked about that in my last class. Um, And even when you read the Psalms, you have to be really careful reading the Psalms because sometimes you read the Psalms and people will make doctrinal statements based on the Psalms. You know, before I knew, or like, um, uh, oh, I'm not going to try to quote something off the top of my head. But... The, the thing is, the Psalms are full of raw emotion. They're prayers. They're not meant to be facts. They're not meant to be teaching. And so when we approach the Psalms or any book of the Bible, we have to think, what type of literature is this? And that's why how to read the Bible for all it's worth is such a good tool because it makes you think just a couple questions to get you closer to what was, what can you actually teach from this text and what can you not teach from this text? And that's really important. So I'm not going to get into science, but the Bible uh, is incredibly historically accurate. We talked about that. Dan will talk about scientific accuracy. I'll show you one example of archaeology and we'll close out. So there was this whole thing that the story of David is a fable. 
Just like Aesop's fables or something like that. Because there's no written history that says anything about David that's old enough to give us confidence that David was a real character. It must be a, a, um, a figment of your imagination. And so in 1993, think about this, this is not very long ago. In 1993, they found this rock. Carved in it are the words, I killed Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, of the house of David. They dated the rock to 820 BC. And all of those scholars, and I just, I really want to put a plug in here to understand. Scholar means they're at some university. If they're at a university, they need to find funding. If they want to find funding, they got to come up with a creative topic to do research on. If it's the same old boring, the Bible's true and all that, it doesn't get funded. There is an inherent conflict of interest in research to find something wacky. It's not going to get played on History Channel or Discovery Channel if it's not sensational. And you need to understand that there are lots of people out there, they get their money to come up with these crazy ideas so that it sells on TV or books. And so they're coming up with ideas that are crazy, that the scholarly uh, people who th really think this stuff through don't agree with. And so don't get led astray by scholars who are coming up with wacky ideas because you need to always consider the source, whether it's news or whether it's uh, history. And, and this is a good example where they had all kinds of theories that were not true. Um, totally out of time, but I want to conclude by saying that it's so important that we don't get emotionally biased in the, the way we approach this. And when you start talking about science, sometimes what Christians will give into is pseudoscience. When you start reading people who are writing about creationism or um, some different scientific Christian thoughts, you have to be really careful to consider the source because even these Christians can try to manipulate the facts to back up something that's not necessarily required by the text. When you read the book of Genesis, yes, I know that some people believe in a 24-hour literal day, even though the sun was created on day four. That's fine if they want to believe it, but it's not required by the text. And so we've got to be careful not to get drawn into pseudoscience, emotion, or even... Um, people coming up with things that they're trying to sensationalize and sell. So my challenge for you, be intolerant where you need to, but be inclusive in a way that blows the world away. Work to understand and apply the Bible and then make a decision. If this really is the word of God, are we going to listen to God's word and not what the world's saying? Sorry I went a little over, but appreciate it. Thank you.